from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Earl Island of 4S Cyber Solutions. Uh, thank you, Earl, for uh, joining us today. My pleasure to be here. So uh, can you share a little bit of your uh, background and uh, how you uh, ended up in the cybersecurity world? Sure. Uh, I, uh, early in my career, I had uh, a number of small businesses, and um, at some point, uh, decided to go back to school. And when I when I did, um, I uh, went in for uh, information assurance, which at the time uh, was uh, when cybersecurity was kind of just becoming a, a, a buzzword and a concept that, that people uh, were recognizing that they needed. And so I just kind of stepped right into cybersecurity at that point. I've been uh, doing cybersecurity now for close to 20 years. And so I, I guess you might say I'm a pioneer in a sense, although um, my early career, if you want to call it that, was, was in the academic realm doing my master's and then uh, completing my, my PhD. Um, so I've got a, a lot of academic background in addition to uh, uh, business background. Yeah, so for, for those in our, our listening audience out there, and we've talked to uh, a number of the professors uh, across the cybersecurity programs and uh, we have here in San Antonio. Um, so for um, with that, we have uh, some listeners that are, are students in those programs or, or um, maybe some of the Cyber Patriot-related audience we have that are thinking about going to college uh, and learning more about cybersecurity and heading the education route. What are some of the, the benefits as you went through to uh, obtain that master's and PhD in information assurance and cybersecurity from a, an academic perspective? So I, I would say that uh, the, the big thing about uh, an academic uh, background uh, going to school is that you get a broad perspective exposure to a lot of the pieces of cybersecurity. And cybersecurity really is a very broad field. Um, and, uh, and the pieces all kind of interact. So it's, it's really useful to have the big picture. And you really get that, I think, with, a, uh, with an undergraduate degree or even a master's degree. PhD is something different. You really kind of hone in on one thing. Um, but uh, as compared to just, um, and I, don't, I shouldn't say just, but just uh, being focused, uh, getting, getting your experience in, uh, in the workforce. Uh, that tends to be more kind of an as-needed kind of thing. You need to know something so you learn it. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's effective, but you can have uh, some large gaps in your knowledge. And so I'm a strong uh, believer in, uh, in the academic program. Yeah, uh, I, I think having that background or if you don't have the, the formal education background, uh, going through to look at something like a, a CISSP that's going to cover a broad set of domains, um, or if, if you have some of the practical hands-on, uh, uh, 
Security Plus or um, some of the industry vendor certifications that are more technical and hands-on cyber look at, at some of the certifications in the policy realm like a, a CISA or some of those other ones to get some of the understandings is securing these systems you have a choice of putting policies and processes and controls in place or doing some technological wizardry and there's usually a yin and a yang balance but between those with with your background how do you think about um, policy to secure things versus technical wizardry <laughs> um, well if you if you take a, a step back um, and realize that the weak link in the whole process is the the human factor um, Policy, I, I think, has uh, a tremendous role because it really drives um, uh, the, the, the culture and or is part of the, uh, uh, a business's culture. And so, so that from that standpoint is, is huge. It also has an impact on um, some of the technical features. And if you don't have the technical features, um, you're still uh, have a, a serious gap in uh, in your security posture, but if if the if the people aren't on board, no matter what you do, they can uh, uh, kind of derail your 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 security. Yeah, I mean one of our our favorite topics because of the uh, high profile of the example is the recent Equifax um, data breach. It gets good mentions around here as it that as a company at that size, they have all sorts of cybersecurity technology they purchased, but the process problem they had there of not patching systems in a timely manner, uh, not having multiple people sign off on databases, uh, database hardening when it went into production. Um, for those listening that haven't heard previous episodes, where we've talked about this in more detail. I mean, they had the database there um, that was storing all those records had a default username and password on it. Uh, didn't have encryption turned on in the data tables, a number of policy problems. And no matter what technology you have, if you don't have p either the proper processes and controls in place or you don't have any accountability for folks following them, um, no technology is going to solve and make that secure. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. So uh, as you're thinking about cybersecurity these days, and we're, we're headed here just to, uh, coming on air here to start off the new year of uh, 2018, um, as, as people are looking out into uh, what's going on this next year, maybe over the next few years, as a small business, do I have to worry about cybersecurity um, nowadays? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, if we look at uh, some of the, the, uh, the, the big breaches, for instance, Home Depot. Um, Home Depot was compromised through one of their vendors. And uh, the vendor was uh, nowhere near as large as uh, Home Depot. So, um, and that can, that can go down a, a number of layers. Um, so the, as a small um, business, you're actually, it's it, critical to have, to have those pieces in place. In fact, uh, the government now, if uh, uh, for government vendors, they're required to uh, be using the risk management framework and have some evidence that, that they're, uh, they're using that and applying that to secure their, appropriately secure their systems. Um, and that actually goes down at least one level. So if you are a, a subcontractor to 
someone who is contracting to the government, you also have to show uh, compliance with our application of the risk management framework. And um, so that can affect, I think, a lot of small businesses. Yeah. You, you've got to have this. And those folks were, if, if you're listening and you're hearing risk management framework, oh, I, I contract with the government or I do payroll for somebody who does contract with the government or I do accounting or bookkeeping for somebody that contracts for the government. Um, you, in theory, were supposed to have all this stuff figured out by uh, December 31st of 2017. Um, <laughs> That's right. If you haven't, you're probably not alone um, because the, the, Cybersecurity professionals that can help people apply that risk management framework have been really busy um, since the announcement of uh, those new requirements earlier in 2017, uh, helping those folks get things implemented. Uh, so uh, if you haven't yet, uh, don't bury your head in the sand uh, and say, you know what, they haven't come after me yet or held me accountable on the contract because I think as, as you go through um, – you still have an opportunity to get those in place to secure yourself and and take care of these before it does become a problem. Uh, so if you have customers that are contracting with the federal government or you contract directly um, and you haven't heard the words risk management framework before, or if you haven't heard NIST 800 or uh, some of these things, if those these sound like a foreign language, um, somebody in your company should be aware of these and should have done some work on this throughout 2017 because I don't believe there's anyone out there that was uh, really implementing all of this probably prior to 2017 at the small business level because um, there is new work to go do. It's not impossible, um, and there's lots of, of good things in there because, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Home Depot one, Target, the same thing. There was a, right. an HVAC uh, vendor there that was monitoring the, the air conditioning and other um, facility systems um, that the attacker got into to their systems and then threw to the Target stores from there. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And um, even uh, from a, a, a proactive uh, perspective, um, if you can get uh, certified and show evidence that you, you uh, have, are using the risk management framework, and this 800, is, as Brett mentioned, um, then uh, I think you're a leg up in, uh, as far as being able to um, uh, bid on uh, government contracts or uh, perhaps to uh, replace another vendor who is dragging their feet, uh, sub a subcontractor who's dragging their feet, uh, you'd be in a good position to be able to step in. Yeah. So I think over the course of 2018 and 2019, you're, you're going to see a fair amount of turnover there on mm -hmm. how some of these contracts are being fulfilled and delivered as uh, notice is sent out to people that haven't done the work that they have a certain amount of time to remediate. And if they don't remediate, there's going to be a, a new proposal out uh, for replacement vendors to pick up contracts. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. So even for small business, it, it, it matters there in the, the federal space that um, with uh, cyber attacks overall, uh, what do you think that is anything driving the shift to uh, attackers going after businesses of all sizes now um, versus where it seems like if we go back five or ten years, it was um, them going after uh, large organizations or those were the only ones that maybe made it in the press? Right. Well, the, the, the juicy targets, if you will, are the large ones, because if a hacker gets into a, a large enterprise, then they can a, a, a extract potentially at least a lot of valuable data uh, just from, from one attack. The, uh, however, the uh, large 
enterprises are more and more becoming hardened and more difficult to get into, whereas uh, the small businesses are, are seen as soft targets. Uh, and I think really they are. You know, if you're a large uh, corporation, large enterprise, you have uh, substantial assets that you can put into a cybersecurity program. Uh, whereas if you're uh, a small enterprise, you're exposed to the same vulnerabilities. Um, you have the same vulnerabilities and you're exposed to the same kinds of threats um, as a large enterprise, but you don't have the assets to to respond to those. And so that then becomes uh, quite the challenge to be able to protect what needs to be protected with far more limited uh, resources. Yeah, I and mean, we've, we've talked on the program here quite a bit. There's already um, somewhere in the two to 400, maybe 500,000 cybersecurity job openings across the U.S., um, and that number is going to grow into the, the millions over the next few years. And the, the talent uh, pipeline of, of kids, even with Cyber Patriot and the increased push in STEM and the increased uh, awareness and enrollment in cybersecurity uh, curriculum in the universities, maybe here in San Antonio and some extent across the country, is uh, the jobs are still growing at a, a more rapid pace uh, than the um, folks are, are learning them and entering the field. So if you're out there thinking about, well, what do I do for my career for the next decade? Uh, go get yourself a cybersecurity education. Uh, you can listen to some of our past episodes and learn um, quite a bit more about the uh, options here, uh, whether it's in the uh, San Antonio colleges or all the way up through PhD programs at, uh, at UTSA. Uh, lots of options here in the San Antonio market. If you're listening to us uh, online on iHeartRadio or on uh, our podcast, uh, consider uh, an education in San Antonio. There's a hands-on um, cybersecurity master's programs uh, at some of the universities here. In, in our past episode archive, uh, we've spoken with uh, professors or uh, administrative staff at many of the universities, and you can learn quite a bit more about what they're offered. Um, those uh, are available on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as iTunes Podcasts or uh, your favorite podcasting uh, service on an Android device. Let me add uh, something to that really quickly. I've been active in San Antonio with the Cyber Patriot program, and uh, you may have some uh, other some previous recorded podcasts on Cyber Patriot. But well, the interesting thing about Cyber Patriot is it's uh, at the uh, middle and high school level. And um, in a recent uh, training event I was at, uh, Raxbates was talking about uh, in San Antonio was talking about how they have been supporting the Cyber Patriot program. And one of the things that they've been doing uh, for uh, some of the, the top-rated teams in San Antonio uh, for the juniors on those teams, they actually, uh, for juniors in high school, are hiring them as interns. And as interns, without even a high school degree, uh, they're getting 18 to $20 an hour. And uh, so, you know, you get a high school degree and you can go right into the workforce and, and get uh, an above average um, uh, income. And if you go to uh, college, you get a bachelor's or a more advanced degree, good heavens, you know, the, the income potential is huge. So uh, uh, mom and dad, if you're listening to anything and, uh, and your, your kids are, are, are inclined perhaps to uh, do some, some computer things and they could be steered into cybersecurity, wow, they can, they can have a huge income potential in, in a, uh, a, a market that I would say is uh, 
uh, one that's not going to disappear anytime in the near future. <laughs> no, and we, we talk a, a little bit on the program about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and really um, that's going to uh, impact cybersecurity like it impacts everything else, but it's going to increase the number of people required in the cybersecurity world because a lot of the low-level activities right now that slow down the attackers are going to get automated. Uh, and a lot of the low-level defensive activities, which are very time-consuming and not super complex, are going to get um, automated. That the the higher level and higher order com complicated thinking and and where you're applying policy and technical controls are not going to be handled by AI or machine learning anytime soon. And uh, the amount of complex attacks are going to to grow very quickly as the uh, bad guys start to roll out AI and machine learning to. Um, scale their attacking capabilities um, and move through those lower level um, reconnaissance mm -hmm. and initial entry points uh, much more quickly. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that the kind of the uh, defensive understanding um, now that is uh, perhaps getting to be mainstream, not quite, I would say, but is that um, uh, you're, there is a, a human driving the attack, and um, there really needs to be a human on the response side, um, because at some point uh, AI is going to fail, and the human creativity kicks in. And if you don't have a, a, a human response to uh, at the at that same level, um, it's you just it's a it's a recipe for failure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you're uh, out there and you're um, talking with your kids over the holidays, um, Cyber Patriot's a team sport. You play it just like you play football or baseball or basketball. Uh, so you get that competitive sport aspect, but you're also getting competitive sport aspect in a, a field where um, even the average players are going to have opportunities to get some scholarships into college um, or able to get placed into some uh, excellent programs in the Air Force uh, where they can get school paid for there mm -hmm. um, or alternatively as well just go directly out to the workforce where if you're playing football um, baseball basketball some of those other sports um, the top kids are going to get scholarships to college um, but the median high school player is not going to get uh, a great and then the job opportunities for a median high school football player um, you're not going to some semi-pro football league to go make 18 to 20 dollars an hour in your summer internship and uh, as well while you're in school those last two years if you're in that cyber corps you can uh, get your security clearance handled so uh, you start immediately in a security cleared area doing cyber work for the government uh, for a couple of years uh, and then when you get out if you have that college education and a security clearance and some cybersecurity skills, you're infinitely employable right now. Oh my gosh, that's a fact. Mainstream um, security at this point is is really um, just uh, recognizing that there are bad actors out there and that I uh, need to keep these bad guys out. And uh, so the, the big things are um, system hardening, I'd say, um, and uh, there are there are hardened uh, OS operating systems um, out there um, that that uh, can be used. And if you're, um, regardless of, of your of whether you're using Windows or uh, Linux, for instance, um, and also you need to uh, make sure that you're keeping your your patches in place. So patch management is a big piece of that. Windows takes care of a, a lot of that 
uh, automatically. Uh, Linux, not necessarily. Um, and then whatever your applications are, uh, some, some will automatically uh, go out and look for patches and, and upgrade, but uh, some do not. And it's important to have uh, your, your, your systems uh, patched uh, across the board. So not just the operating system, but where your applications are, because an attacker can come in through uh, the operating system, but it could also come in through if you're using uh, Office or, or uh, Outlook or Word or whatever the case may be. Can come in through one of your applications just as easily. Yeah, and and for patching now um, in your Windows world, you can turn on Windows Update. It's not going to slow your computer down a ton. It's not going to cause problems. And you can also include there's like as Earl mentioned, some of the Microsoft Office suite. You can have that Windows Update in the operating system update additional applications above and beyond just the operating system patches. And the, the speed at which you deploy these patches now really makes a, a big difference. Uh, we're, we're seeing if there's a remote uh, exploit that gets published out there, um, so maybe a, a vulnerability to where a hacker can um, take remote control of your computer. It's less than a week from the time that that vulnerability is published these days until a ready-made exploit is available inside of a hacker toolkit. So if these business processes you've had in the past where you, you apply patches once every 30 days, you're potentially leaving your systems exposed for uh, two to three weeks uh, now uh, before that patch will get applied. And that's a, a long time on the Internet uh, to leave something uh, with a vulnerability on it. That's right. Uh, one thing also to uh, kind of keep in mind is, is some um, companies uh, – businesses, enterprises maybe I should say, uh, have the, the idea that, well, nobody's really interested in my stuff. And uh, perhaps I'm not even attached to the, or the, the core of my business is not even attached to the, the internet. Um, but what, uh, what you find in these cases is that people have kind of a false sense of security. And um, even if your, your, your core systems are in fact uh, isolated from the internet, air-gapped is kind of the, the, the common phrase there. Uh, that's not really good security because if you, if you have someone that really wants to get into your system, they'll figure out a way to do it. Uh, and they, probably the, the, the first uh, publicly acknowledged incident of that is Stuxnet, where the Iranian... Uh, uh, where the Iranian... Um, uranium enrichment facility was taken down by some uh, uh, nation state actors who uh, remain nameless. Um, but uh, uh, the uranium uh, system, enrichment system, was uh, air-capped. And yeah. yet it managed to be uh, uh, taken down um, through a cyber attack. And so that's a, that's a false sense of security. And, and people uh, think that... Um, well, I'm using an, an some kind of a, an outdated or a, a custom uh, communication system or a network or operating system, whatever. If someone wants to get in, they'll take the time to figure out how to get into your system. And the older systems, in fact, uh, were, were created without cybersecurity in mind. And so any security they happen to have is really kind of uh, incidental and uh, uh, Typically, they're riddled with the vulnerabilities that uh, an attacker can easily take advantage of. Yeah. 
So we're going to take a uh, quick break here on Cyber Talk Radio for a news, traffic, and weather update uh, at the bottom of the hour, and we will be back. This is your host, Brett Pyatt. I'm joined by Earl Island, and uh, I will have a tip for you uh, that you can give to all of your employees to uh, avoid uh, social engineering hijinks uh, heading into 2018 uh, when we come back. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, joined by Earl Island from 4S Cyber Solutions. And uh, we've been talking cybersecurity policy and some of the technical controls and things about risk management framework. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into that risk management and some more of the uh, kind of newer things that folks should be thinking about uh, here in the second half of the program. If you uh, were with us through the first half. Thank you for uh, coming back and joining. And I'd promised a, a tip um, at the end of that first half about uh, social hijinks to avoid. Um, and one of these uh, ways we were discussing air-gapped security systems. And uh, you think, you know what, my main system is not connected to the internet. This won't ever be a problem for me. Well, in your parking lot of your office building or maybe your parking garage, uh, maybe there's a uh, some somebody that works for you finds a USB stick laying on the, the ground there. And they go, you know what, I, I could use a free USB. I'm just going to go ahead and take this and plug this into my computer at the office. And now they, they plug it into that air gap system and they're using it. And then they use that to to bring files back and forth from that air gap system to their internet connected computer or their computer at home because they just have one computer there so they can work on things at, at home. And they, they take that back and forth. And really that USB stick had some interesting software on it that allowed the, the hackers to get access to some data on that air gap system. It copied those files back up to the USB. And then when that USB gets plugged into the internet, all of a sudden now the hackers have information off of your air gap system. So if you've never heard of a, a drop test, um, or if you've never heard of this as an attack vector, uh, we've uh, covered this in the past uh, in CyberTalk Radio and some of the social engineering um, episodes we've done. Um, you can find those past episodes on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, on the internet uh, via YouTube, uh, our Facebook page, uh, Twitter, or CyberTalk Radio. There's lots of places where you can get access to this information online. Uh, if you're listening to us live on 1200 WA, thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, and if you're one of our listeners here on uh, streaming via iHeartRadio or uh, a podcast. Uh, thank you for choosing to uh, spend some time uh, with Earl and I here on CyberTalk Radio uh, this evening. Uh, during that break, Earl, there's uh, some of the topics that you wanted to make sure we hit uh, and, and kind of got into some more depth in this half of the program. So I will uh, turn over to you here to to uh, talk about some of those things in with our audience that we were chatting about while we uh, grabbed some more coffee. Okay, yeah. So um, the... Uh, we mentioned earlier about the risk management framework, and um, that's the 
kind of the latest and greatest that the, the government has come out with. The big thing about the risk management framework is it, it goes beyond just uh, what you might call traditional cybersecurity in uh, that you're trying to keep the bad guys out or um, if you're a little more advanced then uh, you're doing hunt, you're doing adversary pursuit and you're, you're actually looking for evidence that the bad guys have uh, penetrated your system, compromised your system and uh, you're, you're trying to get rid of them as well. Um, but uh, uh, risk management uh, framework actually brings in the, un the understanding that it's not just the bad guys that you have to watch out for, that if you have uh, an income stream, um, that that can be affected by a number of things. There can be uh, some kind of environmental uh, failure, if you will. Uh, certainly, if, if you look at uh, what's happened just the last couple of days uh, at Atlanta uh, Airport, uh, there, the airport was down for, for 12 hours, totally shut down for 12 hours. And it, it looks like it may have actually been caused by uh, a rodent gnawing on a, a power line. And, but there were speculation early on that perhaps it was some kind of a terrorist attack, a cyber attack or something. Um, it looks like that may not have been the case, but, uh, but nonetheless, you know, it, it uh, took the airport down for 12 hours. Well, the fact that it wasn't cyber uh, doesn't in any way uh, reduce the impact, right? And if you're a, a small business and uh, something, uh, it, maybe it's a human error, you know, maybe one of your, your people fat fingers something um, and it uh, takes you offline for whatever, uh, uh, or whatever the incident may be. Um, that's still uh, something that uh, you need to be sensitive to and be able to respond to, uh, to to recover and bring yourself back up. So, um, the what the the pieces that risk management bring in the risk management framework brings in that goes beyond uh, traditional cybersecurity is it brings in the concept of uh, response uh, recovery. Yeah, response and recovery, really, those are the two pieces. Um, and response can be, uh, include things like redundancy. So uh, a piece of equipment goes down, a service goes down for some reason or other. Uh, you have something else that you can spin up very quickly, uh, perhaps in real time, to keep, uh, to keep your, your business going. And recovery would be things like backups. Uh, perhaps you have some, some lower priority uh, services that go down, um, uh, like HR, for instance, or, or payroll. Well, payroll only is uh, a significant, I should say, uh, time sensitive, like once every two weeks. Yeah. And uh, so, if that uh, if that goes down, well, you can you can if it takes you an hour to bring it back up, that's probably not going to be a huge uh, impact on your on your business. So. Um, those are the kinds of things that risk management uh, brings into play, uh, which are kind of outside of uh, uh, conventional, I guess you might say, cybersecurity. Yeah, that's an interesting one. As we, we talk cybersecurity policy and you, you think about uh, business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning and and uh, many of, all, all of these areas seem to get uh, handed to the information security officer these days at a larger company, and they're responsible for um, many activities that go well outside the scope of what uh, I think if you define cybersecurity, people would think about. As uh, you said there, that 
Atlanta airport, 12 hour outage. Um, if you go through it, a, a business continuity planning scenario, they had a primary and secondary power systems. Um, they didn't really have a belief based off of their risk management that both those systems would ever be offline at the same time because uh, you don't want the world's busiest airport shut down for 12 hours. That was uh, created a, a lot of holiday travel high, uh, issues for uh, many folks, and uh, hopefully everyone was able to get to their destination ultimately um, and be able to spend time with their friends and family, but uh, not good there. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain an organization the size of the uh, Atlanta airport has a, a business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning um, team. They run tabletop sessions. They do some of those things, and even in those areas, they didn't catch every potential scenario that they they went through and you you get down to smaller businesses or uh folks they may have one it security guy and they expect that it security guy to think about all the scenarios all of everything all by themselves um and that it puts a lot there because many of the real risks to the business are outside the direct um, awareness maybe of, of an it professional uh, is, is you think that they're like, you know what, this HR system needs to be online 24-7. No, I mean, it really needs to be online for their payroll, needs to be online for two hours a week or two hours every two weeks so that it can run payroll, but it could be down the rest of the time uh, versus maybe if you're a, a, a restaurant or a retail store, your credit card processing system needs to be online all the time now, and you should have a, a backup one. I mean, if you're out there in the audience and you've got a main credit card processing in your retail establishment and there's no reason for you not to uh, get a cell phone and get uh, one of the mobile processing on that that cell phone so that in the event that your main system is offline you can still continue to accept credit cards on a backup system Um, it's can plug into basically any cell phone these days and you could have a few cell phones sitting in a store um, pretty affordable way to provide a redundancy on one of your most important systems. And that's an easy example to talk through, but business continuity planning and all the rest of these, there's, it's a, a complicated topic well outside the realm of cyber. That's right. That's right. And um, even, even if you have a policy for a redundancy, uh, redundancy, if you have a, even if you have a policy for a redundancy, um, there can, implementation can, can be tricky. And, uh, an example that comes to home a little more, perhaps uh, uh, more so than the Atlanta power failure, uh, Atlanta airport power failure, is um, uh, let's say you have redundant uh, uh, network capability, internet capability, and um, uh, you're paying two different vendors for providing uh, services. So if one goes down, you can uh, uh, in real time. Uh, roll over to the the separate network. Um, however, um, there's a, a gotcha there it, that uh, what if if both of your systems actually let's say they're optical cable optical fibers they're both in the same cable. Um, there's uh, uh, kind of my 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 favorite uh, uh, type of failure is one called a BIF backhoe induced failure. Right. Oh well, yes. If you have uh, both your your primary and your backup uh, uh, vendors uh, running through fibers in the same bundle, and a backhoe is going to take them both out. And uh, so these are the kinds of things that even in a well-planned um, uh, and well-executed uh, policy, you still can get uh, surprised, kind of like the Atlanta airport. Uh, so these kinds of things, uh, you need to kind of drill down uh, outside 
of your your normal uh, sandbox, perhaps, to make sure that that um, you, these kinds of things you, you're not exposed to these risks if you if you can. Yeah, and this is where I mean, getting uh, if you're a, a small business, you're not necessarily going to employ somebody full time with this background and depth of uh, risk management planning expertise of bringing in somebody to really help you um, tabletop through some scenarios that can impact your business, understand some of those processes and and get you set up in a spot where like uh, with uh, our office here where we're recording CyberTalk Radio, there's construction all around the building on both sides. Um, as soon as that construction started, one of the things we did was an update on our, our risk assessment from here, and we have a, a 5G um, cellular-based failover uh, running on the roof of the building now. So in the event that backhoes do dig up all of the fiber bundles uh, around the outside of the building and our, our primary and secondary fiber-based stuff go down, um, we've got the ability to go straight up on conduit uh, to the roof and then off from there to a, a tower nearby. So, uh, yeah, it's it's being aware of those type of risks and intimately aware here. If you've uh, listened to some of our past episodes of CyberTalk Radio and it sounds eerily quiet in the background, that's because uh, our uh, producer has had to do some uh, noise canceling of uh, backhoes, jackhammers, scissor lifts, <laughs> and uh, all sorts of other amazing uh, construction equipment that you uh, won't hear um, in the background uh, Thanks to the uh, magic of digital audio these days. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely right. Um, in, in fact, um, bringing in uh, external experts, I think, can can be uh, really uh, a good way to um, uh, bring in a, uh, some some an extra a sec- a, bring in an extra a set of eyes and an external uh, viewpoint that. Um, may catch some of these things that you might not necessarily think of yourself. As uh, as folks go through and they go, you know what, like I'm barely making money in my business today. Uh, I can't afford to um, add any additional cost for this extra cybersecurity. What is your your kind of thought and answer to to that when you you hear that from a a business owner or an IT manager saying, you know what, I've got to roll out new features. I can't afford to spend anything securing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the small business, I think that the the, uh, the solution is really to outsource your um, your IT uh, at least in part. Uh, perhaps you have some some internal IT people or some some people who uh, at least spend a part of their their workday uh, doing some some local support. Um, but uh, to be able to bring in uh, a team is uh, uh, really important. And even if that team uh, is, uh, supports some, let's say, some hundreds of, of different small businesses, just a, a, a small portion of that expense then, that the full-time expense uh, is, is consumed by, by your company. And yet you get that, that full spectrum of, uh, of uh, experience. Uh, and technical ability, which um, I think is just is critical for the small business in these days. Yeah. Well, and as, as you, you had brought up and kind of talked about some of the, the risk management, as cybersecurity uh, helps you think through maybe areas of, of business process or 
other things that can impact your revenue side as well. Because if like Atlanta there, the airport, uh, I'll guarantee that 12-hour outage cost a bunch of revenue, mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of canceled flights, a bunch of canceled tickets. Uh, I don't know how that all flows back from the airport through to the airlines, through to the passengers, but somebody's paying for uh, a bunch of canceled flights there, and, and those planes are and flights are gone. Um, those hours are gone. So similarly, if, if you're a medical practice and you're booked up all the time, if you're offline for a day um, because of a cyber incident, that's a day of revenue that's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm interesting to see how many folks are starting to really pull together to understand that doing some of the preventative uh, cyber things that are responsible um, can also have a, a positive impact on your, your top line revenue, maybe either through avoiding an incident that takes revenue offline or, or even to help make business processes more efficient because you do some of these risk management thinking and you're like, oh, there's a better way to do this comes out of that. So for, for businesses out there, maybe we've been through this conversation while they've listened or convinced, uh, okay, I should do more on the cyber side than, than I am doing. Um, do you if you you're having a conversation with that owner now or the that IT manager that's thinking the cyber stuff's kind of important? Uh, uh, do you walk them through a a risk based security model or or where do you take them to get going on on which activities to prioritize? Yeah, so the one of the challenges uh, just historically with uh, cybersecurity is that the the numbers that are important to an operator. The numbers that are uh, important to an IT manager uh, are not the numbers that um, make sense to the decision maker, uh, to the, the corporate officers. They're not the, the numbers that uh, really show what the impact is, the effect is, on the, the enterprise. And so the... Uh, that's been the the the, uh, the biggest challenge is trying to figure out how to do that, um, and actually uh, some of my doctoral work was was uh, in in that area. And I'm not going to uh, bore people with with something I can talk about for uh, hours and days. But um, the what what needs to be done is to understand kind of the the from a business level how does your business work? How does your enterprise work? Uh, what are your, what is your, your, your key mission and what does it take to uh, be able to execute that and then drill down uh, below, uh, for, for instance, what uh, kind of are your, your, your services that are required and information required? What are the, what are then of the systems that support that, support those? And um, at that point, then you need to start looking at uh, what are the pieces that can break, and uh, how sensitive are my operations to uh, some kind of uh, failures in those systems? At that point, then you can start prioritizing uh, where to uh, put your cybersecurity dollar, if you will, uh, and where do you need to have uh, really emphasize resilience and uh, recovery, for instance. Um, and then once you have that in place, then you can start uh, designing your, your your cybersecurity systems. And um, uh, but it takes you have to start from the top down. You know, it's a it's a, a uh, it's just a uh, um, process that we've been working from the bottom up, and really it needs to be taken from the top down. And one of the the questions I I often ask folks is. Uh, 
what information have your customers entrusted you to store on their behalf? So if you're a medical practice, you're storing medical records on behalf of your customers. If you're a, a, a CPA or financial advisor, you're storing financial records on behalf of your customers. Uh, and those records are, are ones where if they're lost or damaged, uh, that there's a significant impact to your business and a significant impact to your customers directly. If you say if you was scheduled to go in and get a surgery on a Friday and on Thursday, the x-rays and all the, uh, the pre-op, uh, was lost, then surgery is getting canceled on Friday. Um, you're having to have an awkward conversation with your patient, um, or you're having to rush them in and be able to go redo all of those tests and all of that pre-op, uh, processing. If you're a, a CPA and you're working on taxes for your, uh, client and you get your, system hacked or you have a, an office fire or other incident that destroys all of those uh, digital records um, that you have on behalf of your, your client, you've got to ask your client for all of the original documents again. Uh, that's a, a really damaging process. You've lost all those hours of that you'd spent working on those original files to turn them into a, a tax filing or um, closing out books or other activities um, from a financial perspective. Those type of areas, and that's information that you can't um, internally rebuild or replace. That's information you have to ask somebody else for again, or you may have to go do uh, work as a, a medical professional to recreate uh, the information. Uh, that type of stuff uh, is inside of almost every business. And is, uh, I have conversations, I start to ask folks about that. Um, some people uh, feel pretty confident. And then I also see folks that get this look of panic in their eyes of like, wow, I hadn't actually really thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. In, in discussions that uh, I've, I've had with uh, small business owners, um, really, they uh, pretty much just pass me on to uh, the their IT people because they they just uh, don't even don't even really aware of of what uh, the problems are that that can uh, occur, and yet uh, uh, it's important for the the key decision makers to 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 really know what their their uh, risks are and uh, to make sure that that someone is uh, is covering those in some way that they've got a plan yeah so as as you're going through this and you've, you've mapped out maybe now all these high level risks uh, how do you go from that policy and an overview and survey to getting results that will help a business uh, be more stable to produce more revenue over the course of the, the, the first year of really trying to implement things. Yeah. So um, the, you have to take it down to all the risks down to, to uh, actionable items, I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, and so you, you, you need to uh, come up with a list of particular steps that can be taken. Um, and for instance, uh, an example would be, let's say that uh, you have some uh, people uh, in your organization that do a lot of traveling and uh, they have uh, 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 corporate phones that have uh, IP on them or that perhaps have uh, an access point to be able to get into the corporate system. Uh, and they uh, uh, periodically lose their phone. Well, that's a, a huge vulnerability, potential vulnerability, in an attack vector for someone who manages to 
acquire that uh, in in whatever um, uh, fashion, and um, so that's something that uh, uh, is something that could be reasonably easily controlled. In that you can't necessarily control that uh, your your CEO loses his phone, for instance. Okay. But you can add in the, some controls there so that if your CEO does lose his phone and he is uh, trained, if you will, to, uh, when that happens, to advise uh, uh, your, the IT department, then the IT department can very promptly act to disable that phone, perhaps even brick it in a, in a, in a very radical uh, case. Um, to avoid, uh, to, to just block that vulnerability. Now that vulnerability no longer exists. Uh, it also could be a, a motivator for the uh, CEO perhaps to be a little more careful with his phone if uh, when it disappears, uh, it's going to get shut down. Yeah. And now he's going to have to replace it somehow. So now that's a, a good one. And uh, it Turn on encryption. Turn on a passcode on your phone. Um, please do those things. Um, turn on encryption on your laptops as well. Some basic things you can do out there to keep yourself safe heading here into uh, 2018. I'd like to thank you for uh, joining us uh, today, Earl, to uh, talk through uh, cybersecurity and uh, policy and risk management uh, with our, our audience. And uh, thank you for listening out there. If you uh, joined in uh, during our, our broadcast here on 1200 WAI and wanted to hear uh, this info, uh, this will go up on our website on Tuesday, January the 9th. So you can look that up at uh, www.cybertalkradio.com.